You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. The riots that took place at the nation's capital this past Wednesday shocked the nation. So much so that they almost eclipsed the other major news of the day, the Democrats' unlikely Senate wins in Georgia. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we consider what the Democrats' new voting majority in the Senate will mean for the incoming Biden-Harris administration. We're going to get some local perspective on that question from two California political watchers who do their political watching from different sides of the partisan divide. We have to look at what happened in Georgia as a proof point for the way in which uh, Democrats can move forward. I'm very pessimistic about the future of Republicanism. I am, however, much more optimistic about the future of conservatism. That first voice was Amy Allison, who we'll be hearing from up top. She's the founder of She the People, a national organization supporting women of color in politics. Allison, who bases her organizing work in Oakland, was among the many voices during the campaign, calling on Joe Biden to be more vocal in his support of progressive causes. Now that the campaign is over and the Democrats have won the Senate, we spoke recently with Allison about Biden's governing agenda, what opportunities she sees opening up for the new administration, and where she expects organizers like herself will continue to push. Amy Allison, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for having me. So we've known for nearly two months now that Joe Biden is headed to the White House uh, come January 20th. Uh, But we learned this past week that when he gets there, he's going to enjoy a Democratic voting majority in both chambers of Congress, with Vice President-elect Kamala Harris casting the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. That Senate majority was far from a certainty a week ago, and obviously an awful lot has happened over this past week, Uh, some of it quite tragic, some of it quite disturbing. But uh, to start things off, some reaction from you from uh, the, the election victories in Georgia and what that could mean going forward. Well, you know, the you know, what happened on Wednesday uh, in the Capitol uh, could have overshadowed what a remarkable feat it was. Uh, to turn Georgia blue and to for the Democrats to secure those two Senate seats. I mean, it took uh, really a monumental multi-year effort to expand the vote, particularly black women, uh, women of color, people of color, uh, uh, you know, voting in historic levels. The fact that uh, the political landscape has changed for that state really bodes well for uh, uh, not only the immediate governance possibilities uh, for Democrats as we move out of the Trump era, but um, as a playbook for many of these states where they were the most highly contested swing states, you know, really having a playbook to, um, you know, you know, zero in on those most likely to deliver uh, Democrats' victories, women of color and people of color in places like Michigan and Arizona. And and look, even states that Trump ultimately won, like Texas and Florida. So we, we have to look at what happened in Georgia uh, as uh, a proof point for 
the way in which uh, Democrats can move forward. And I think the question is going to be, can uh, the Biden-Harris administration very quickly uh, deliver for the very communities that put him in office? Right. And that is a big question. You know, just just a week ago, uh, when it seemed less likely that uh, he was going to be inheriting a congressional majority in both houses, there were just big questions about how obstructionist uh, a possible Republican Senate majority would be uh, as he tried to uh, exact his agenda, in, in particular, the appoints, uh, federal appointments that he uh, wanted to make, Pres- President-elect Joe Biden. Lots of questions about how far along Republican senators would have gone with that. How much do you think has changed now that they have the 50 plus one in that chamber? Well, we, we see with uh, those who um, Joe Biden has selected for uh, these uh, these appointments that there are a number of um, people that represent the communities and the issues uh, that are top of mind that need to be addressed. There are people with quite a bit of experience and he's he's crafting an administration that now he can actually assemble and they can get started, I believe much, much more soon, you know, much sooner. I mean, take the case of um, Benita Gupta. Benita uh, was in the role um, uh, in, in the civil rights division. Uh, now, of course, she's been nominated for associate attorney general. Uh, that's a key place where she was never confirmed under Obama, where I believe uh, someone uh, like Vanita Gupta will be able to just to really come in and uh, be confirmed with the Senate majority um, and start the business of uh, doing the work with the attorney generals in the attorney general's office and really rebuilding that office and and um, uh, doubling down on the mission, the original mission of the Justice Department, which has had a historic role in, you know, not only civil rights legislation and really establishing the rule of law. And when we look at that, we see uh, the ability of uh, the Biden-Harris administration to get to work and not be taking up a lot of air, a lot of oxygen, fighting for the confirmations of, uh, of, of the people that will be behind having a very powerful, fast-moving, uh, 100-day agenda and uh, uh, one-year agenda, which is going to be the critical uh, time uh, to gauge the success and the momentum of this incoming administration. All right. Well, uh, real quick, if you're just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth speaking with Amy Allison, the founder of She the People out of Oakland, getting her take on the incoming Biden administration's policy agenda. And uh, what I want to talk about next is some of the headwinds facing that agenda, because, well, uh, let, let's take the example of uh, the stimulus money. A lot of Democrats are hoping to expand the stimulus money going out to struggling Americans during the pandemic, turning those uh, $600 checks that have already gone out into 2000 dollar checks. Uh, an ambitious proposal, but already facing some trouble because uh, Democrat uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia has already made clear he has no intention to sign on to that. And uh, just kind of emblematic of some of the broader challenges that Democrats are going to be facing, given their very, very narrow majority in the Senate. Uh, you know, given that narrow majority, these centrist Democrats are really going to play an outsized role in what gets passed and what is not. So, uh, talking about the uh, the Biden administration's policy agenda, I mean that's that's going to be a, a real wrinkle in some of their plans. Well, uh, it's a good thing that he doesn't represent uh, the majority of not only the voters, the Democratic Party voters, uh, but the sentiment of the people, you know, uh, in in Congress. Um, I, I look, it's this is about political will, and it's uh, it's about uh, you know what pressure 
uh, our re elected representatives feel from uh, constituents in terms of moving forward. And um, I heard uh, in the, in the days or, you know, this week, people talking about where the, where's the momentum right now in terms of policy and practice and pi priorities and budget, who gets to call that? And my analysis is that you have, um, uh, the, the progressive, uh, newly elected, uh, you know, leaders who are creating, you know, who are behind sponsoring bills on, um, cash payments and protecting essential workers, even around um, a number of, you know, the, the legislation on um, to address uh, Trump's role in in this week around impeachment. All that um, really being the, the the political momentum in Congress right now is Ilhan Omar and uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley and the newly uh, the new Congresswoman Cory Bush out of Missouri. And, and it's these uh, progressive women of color that really have their finger on the pulse. I think they're gonna be able to drive more political will along with AOC and others than a Joe Manchin. And you bring up a good point, um, but the, uh, the necessity of really organizing and not, not letting uh, uh, Joe Manchin call the shots, but really letting, really having a political strategy that, that uh, Nancy Pelosi, a speaker, is going to have to get on board. We're going to have to get Chuck Schumer on board in terms of whipping up those votes. And that includes the more conservative members of the caucus. We simply cannot. We've worked so hard to get the presidency uh, and uh, the majority of the House and the Senate to throw it away um, with, the, you know, with the, the conservative Democrats impeding progress. We just can't. We can't be in that position because in two years, we have to be able to not only defend uh, the majorities, but to expand those majorities. And we won't be in a good position if we are kind of a do-nothing majority. And that, we, we can't be put in that position. We can't allow any one elected official to do that. Let's talk about uh, Joe Biden in particular for a moment. There has been massive speculation about w how he's going to govern, whether he's going to be the the most progressive president since FDR or, or as uh, some uh, liberals fear, whether he is going to govern from the center right. So still kind of unclear from uh, a lot of people's perspectives exactly where that is going to land. Uh, you yourself have uh, been critical over the past year of his uh, unwillingness to embrace the defund the police slogan. So you've had your own uh, disappointments with uh, the, 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 the stances that he has taken. What is your sense of what direction his governance is going to go in going forward, especially given all the uh, opportunities that we've been discussing so far in this conversation? Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. And, you know, the, the reality of politics is just there is no perfect elected official where you're going to agree 100 percent. But here's the positive signals I've seen out of the transition team. Um, and out of the, you know, kind of the first announcements of people that will be alongside, he's building a coalition that does include women of color. It does include people that have come from advocacy or progressive uh, circles. He could, he could do more of that. But what I see is that he is uh, building a, uh, a, uh, a group who's both, exper both experienced and um, will be in co-governance. I think the, the biggest signal I'm getting right now is the very unique role that our VP elect Kamala Harris is playing. I mean, in my lifetime, uh, and I've been through you know, many election cycles, many presidential election cycles and transition cycles, I haven't seen a vice president in the past play uh, the role as such a prominent role that we have with uh, Kamala Harris, who's present at the big announcements, who's 
uh, whose voice is continuing to be important, not just in the campaign, but but now, and uh, who I see as being positioned to be in um, a you know very important partner in the governance of of the country, getting getting us all the policy and and getting the teams together. So, uh, because Kamala Harris is the incoming president of the of, of the Senate and has that key role, and in the White House, she's a, she's a fulcrum of power, and I and I see the support and elevation of her role as indication that Joe Biden's going to be governing in a way that um, makes space. And so that's, that's, I feel optimistic about that. Um, and uh, it isn't that he was the most progressive senator, <laughs> you know, you're right. He was a very, you know, moderate uh, senator. I think the times have changed to Joe Biden, both how he's got to govern, both who's in his governing coalition. And ultimately, like when you look at the way he's describing what happened this week, from the perspective of racial justice and talking about two different justice systems, think about the guy uh, in the 80s uh, who, who advocated the crime bill and, and, the, and the president-elect who, who spoke uh, yesterday. It's, it's, it's an evolved leader, and uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, those are all signs of, that I'm, I'm very hopeful. Speaking once again with uh, Amy Allison, founder of She the People, I have two more questions for you, and uh, they're both going to get back down to the grassroots level. Uh, first off, what is the role of the grassroots organizing level? You you have these aspirations for what this administration could bring in the context of these newly won Senate seats. What are going to be the role of local organizers such as yourself, such as other folks uh, throughout the Bay Area and the country in um, holding the administration accountable for those promises that you would like to see enacted? It's a really good question because um, the the goal uh, cannot just be access. Uh, The goal has to be a governance agenda and really having an influence uh, from the, you know, so continuing to connect uh, grassroots organizing with what we're seeing at the federal um, level, really critical. Um, in this last couple of years, with She the People's uh, network, uh, we particularly uh, have networks of elected officials and uh, voter, you know, registration engagement uh, groups, et cetera. Um, 250 total, uh, many, many over um, states in the South and Southwest, our swing states. And what we're looking to is uh, to continue to solidify an independent voice so that we we can. Um, help to communicate uh, what women of color want to see since we're such critical, the central most critical voters to, to, to win democratic uh, contests up and down ballot. Um, and also to, uh, to invest heavily in the Stacey Abrams model of, of voter engagement, voter expansion, because again, we're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to defend our wins and we're gonna have to expand on them uh, in just two years. So um, uh, we're hearing a lot from our network about what they, you know, what are the the, t- the top issues? What is going to keep them engaged? And uh, and we're going to continue to be helping to shape what that agenda is and doing our best to press uh, on those issues, you know, and in the next phase. I, I don't I don't look at uh, and many people are afraid. It's like, oh, okay, women of color or black women or brown women uh, delivered uh, Georgia and delivered, uh, you know, uh, the presidency. Um, thank you very much and move on. We, we, nobody wants that. Uh, we're, we're not just uh, powerful voters. We're also, you also want to govern and we want to define the agenda for the, you know, uh, and, and help to build a coalition. And we want that to last. 
All right. Well, uh, just a couple of minutes left, but uh, to round things out, the the last question that I want to put to you, we've been speaking a lot so far in terms of the uh, Biden-Harris agenda and uh, how progressive it might be, how progressive it might not be. Uh, But it occurs to me, you know, given all this pressure that there is going to be to make that agenda as progressive as possible, whether or not that runs the risk of uh, alienating portions of the country that are, um, you know, certainly more on the conservative end of the spectrum and, and whether or not that might make another task that is before the new administration more difficult, that being the task of national reconciliation and the, the, the need for us to heal these national wounds that have been on full display over uh, this past week. Uh, so in, in closing, I'm curious for your view on what you expect to see from uh, the Biden-Harris administration in terms of promoting national reconciliation and and how possible that will be at this moment? Well, if this week, um, if you need more proof that we need to deal with racial injustice in this country, this week is just the latest example. Millions of people who were in the um, streets last year demanding racial justice and white supremacists you know, breaking down the halls of Congress, all of those are are just huge indications that um, underlying all the policy and the politics needs to be a real racial reckoning. The other thing that would lead to to healing is is really having um, an acknowledgement from the top, from the White House, uh, from our top leaders of, uh, of the death and the loss that COVID has wrecked upon our communities. Um, and um, I know in my life, uh, friends have lost their, their parents or grandparents or brothers and sisters or children. Um, and we have not mourned as a, as a, as a country. Uh, and we have not acknowledged that. Um, I know that the Biden-Harris administration um, during the inaugural week is going to finally have uh, national events on that. I think, I think we need to do more of that to really acknowledge what the pain that we're in um, and and look at COVID is the, is the enemy and that we're all on the same side. You know, we're Americans that need to um, be united in fighting that common enemy and healing and helping each other. That's, that's, my, that's my greatest hope as we look forward in this country. Well, uh, tragically, there certainly is an awful lot to reflect upon. So that would be a powerful moment. Uh, We have, once again, been speaking to Amy Allison. She is the founder of She the People. It's a national organization supporting women of color in the political arena. Amy Allison, once again, thank you so much for being on KCBS In Depth. Thanks for having me. You're listening to KCBS In Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're getting some local perspective on what policy agenda could come out of the Biden-Harris White House now that the Democrats have locked down both chambers of Congress. Up next, we're headed to the other side of the aisle to speak with Mike Madrid, a longtime Republican strategist working in California, about the future of conservatism following a week of turmoil and major Republican defeats. Mike Madrid, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you so much for having me. So you've worked in California politics for many years, formerly serving as political director for the state Republican Party. But uh, just over a year ago, you also helped to co-found a political action committee. It's the uh, famous Lincoln Project, made up of a coalition of Republicans and former Republicans that worked to defeat President Trump in last year's election. 
Uh, given the results from November, I think that there's a pretty good case to be made uh, that your efforts have paid off. Uh, but here we are in the days following the special runoff election in Georgia, where Democrats swept both races, clearing the way, uh, as many see it, for President-elect Joe Biden to carry out his agenda with a voting Democratic majority in both chambers of Congress. Um Many conservatives are obviously horrified by the prospect of Democrats wielding majority power as a conservative who contributed to some degree to this outcome. Uh, how are you feeling right now? I'm more horrified by the Republican Party's attempts to overthrow our government. So the decision to be engaged in protecting my democracy or advocating for marginal tax relief or environmental regulations or any host of other policy issues take a very far distant second seat at this moment in American history. And and help un- unpack what you're seeing right there, because let's say that it's it's a year from now, and just just in this hypothetical, let's say that uh, under Joe Biden's presidency, we are seeing the the passage of the Green New Deal and Medicare for All, and your uh, conservative colleagues are saying, uh, Mike, how, how could you sign up for this? What what will you be saying to them at that point? I would say that I've spent my entire career, the past thirty years, defeating Democrats and Democratic policies that were too extreme for the mainstream. Uh, American public and that were in opposition to what I believe. But let me back up. Just the, the very premise of that question, I think, is the most troubling, that people somehow believe that it's okay to foment and lead an insurrection against the United States of America because of policy differences is not only foolish, it's traitorous, it's treasonous, and it's seditious. So every American in this country should be at this moment standing against the Republican Party and Trumpism as it exists. If you hope to continue the American experiment and preserve our republic, we can argue about public policy later. We can recover from any bad policies. We've got a 250 year history of doing that. We have never come back from a domestic enemy in the White House or from an insurrection and the violent overthrow of our federal government. That's exactly where we stand today. And you are still registered as a Republican. Where would you say the party is right now? And clearly, uh, then, it it seems like you have some hope uh, that the party can head down a a, a different course. Where would you like it to see and uh, where what, what is keeping it from moving in that direction currently? Well, I'm a classical conservative, and I've never changed one bit of my positions on any of the issues. The Republican Party has left me and left conservatives to advocate for a white nationalism, a populism that is dangerous to democracy, and clearly a support for rising authoritarianism. That's just undebatable at this point. We're watching it unfold before our very eyes. So I'm more hopeful for my country. Uh, I'm an American before I'm a Republican, but I will fight and advocate for my beliefs, my ideals, and my values the way that I have for the past 30 years, once our democracy is safe and secure enough to have those policy debates. But we're at a triage moment. The patient is not healthy. Uh, He's bleeding out. He's in the emergency room. And every American is called at this moment in time to rise up, demand the removal of this president and the evisceration of the Republican leadership that enabled an authoritarian to rise up and foment insurrection against our government. Let's focus a little bit on the California GOP in particular for a moment. Uh, As it turned out, more than half of the state's Republican Congress members voted to reject the contested election results that supported Biden's electoral victory. We're talking about the results out of Arizona and out of Pennsylvania. Uh, And that vote came after the chaos at the Capitol building on Wednesday. How do you read those votes? Does does it reflect the, the members' skepticism of the election results, perhaps continued loyalty to the president? What do you see there? 
adds crass fealty to a corrupt president uh, who's now crossed the line of treason. Look, there is no evidence suggesting that any of these uh, states, including our own, experienced any sort of pervasive fraudulent activity. None. There isn't one scintilla of it, and they know that. These are not foolish men. These are men who are putting ambition and, and uh, partisan politics above their country. Uh, there is no reason for this. There is no evidence for this. If there was evidence, I would be advocating alongside of them to suggest that that would be the greater threat to democracy. But when you're willing to lie, when you're willing to advocate at a pure crass, purient interest for your own sake and for those of your fellow party members over your countrymen, uh, those people need to be held to account. Of course, many of these uh, Congress members, they weren't saying outright that they believed that the election had been stolen. They were saying rather that they thought that many of the American people believed that and that they just wanted more time for a further review of the process to uh, have have some time to play out. They wanted an investigation uh, before the inauguration takes place on uh, the 20th. What, What do you say to that perspective? I say that's the narrative of a coward. There is no evidence. You can make that case literally at any time on any issue. If you're choosing to hide behind your cowardice because you lack the ability to lead people into a direction where facts show them, then you do not have the moral character or the moral fiber to hold office uh, in the United States Congress. And if you don't have the moral clarity to leave, you should be removed from office. Well, real quick, uh, for anybody who's just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth. We're speaking right now with Mike Madrid, longtime Republican political consultant in California and a co-founder of The Lincoln Project, speaking with him about the future of conservatism following a historic week of tumult. Uh, so, Mike, on, on the question of whether or not the events of this past Wednesday uh, will push Republicans away from Trump, uh, I read an interview from you recently in which you said uh, that the guy actually to watch is Kevin McCarthy, uh, the California Republican who is the leader of the House GOP. Uh, why Kevin McCarthy? Explain your thinking there, if you could. I've known Kevin for a very long time, and he has a really remarkable ability to understand the pulse and direction of the Republican base. He's a very successful politician for a whole lot of reasons, that being pre- one of the primary reasons why. And I fully expect um, that he will be able to read the direction of uh, the Republican electorate, which has been consumed in a, in, a, in a fever of Trumpism to the detriment of this country. He's also unfortunately showed a lack of ability or a lack of desire to lead the party out of this dangerous situation. So I think he's a very good barometer. Kevin is a remarkably good barometer of what the party is going to become, especially as he seeks to become speaker in two years. Will he now get uh, more uh, clarity in his conscience the way some of his Senate colleagues have and stand up against this authoritarianism, regardless of where the Republican base voter is at? Or will he tend continue as Josh Hawley, Senator Josh Hawley does to, and Ted Cruz to kowtow to the mob, to the frenzy, to the detriment of our country? I think his actions more than any other Republican in the country will tell us what the direction is of the Republican base voter. And so watching his actions very closely, I think, will be very instructive as to whether or not the Republican Party can potentially, with a very small chance, recover from this, or will it you know, descend or devolve into the ash heap of history like the Whigs or the Know-Nothing Party? Do you see a path back to power for conservatism that uh, is uh, not aligned with Trumpism? Uh, I mean... 
uh, you said you you alluded to earlier that obviously you have some policy disagreements with the Democratic Party and uh, the liberal movement within uh, America. Do 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 you look forward to the day where uh, conservative folks that share some of your policy views are going to wield power again? I look as an American, I look forward to better days. Simply at this point, being a more stable, healthy democracy where these ideas can be debated. I am very pessimistic about the future of republicanism. I am, however, much more optimistic about the future of conservatism. They are very different things. And conservatism offers a more aspirational, optimistic view of the human spirit and what this country can become. And the Republican Party at this moment in time can no longer be a vessel for that. And as a result, uh, either there will be a formation of a new party or there will be a growing, uh, I think, acceptance of some of these ideas within the Democratic Party or a split in the Republican Party, possibly a combination of all three. My focus, again, though, is not on any one of those three objectives. Again, as somebody who spent my entire life in the conservative movement, I would certainly like to see a return to those days. But America is in nowhere near a position to have that type of a discussion. Our democracy is collapsing. I'm not suggesting that the health of our democracy is in jeopardy going forward. It's in jeopardy at this moment in time. We just witnessed something that we would be shocked to see in a third world developing banana republic. And yet here we are, what used to be the cradle of democracy in the modern world, uh, the the floor of the the temple of democracy being desecrated um, by a political party, uh, more than complicit, in, in, its, in, its, uh, in its insurrective, seditious acts. So yeah, I would love to see, I guess, a conservative uh, movement reestablish itself, but we are very, very far away from that discussion happening because uh, our democracy is in deep, deep trouble at this moment. Well, a bracing perspective after a very uh, challenging difficult week. Uh, We have been speaking once again to Mike Madrid. He is a Republican political consultant, also a partner at the Grassroots Lab and a co-founder for the Lincoln Project. Mike Madrid, always good to have you on KCBS In-Depth. Thanks for the discussion. It's great to talk with you. This has been KCBS In-Depth. Remember, you can find past editions of the program online at the KCBS website or wherever you get your podcasts. Signing off for KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.